0: Good morning. It is going to hit 100 degrees on Thursday. We all, seriously, we ready? Okay, don't come here because there's no air conditioning. There are fans, and if you positioned yourself rightly in this room, you are feeling them. Um, hey, how many of you guys got bulletins? Let's see, bulletin check. Are the greeters doing their job? All right, go to the announcements page. There's a couple things on here I really want to highlight uh sunday august 13th are we all looking at the same one baptism there's going to be some baptisms now if you are thinking man i've never been baptized well today's your day there's your day right there it's like the expiration date on milk that's the day Uh, if you are interested in baptism you want to know more about it uh come see me afterwards we have a way of baptizing that's going to be fun we actually have a mobile hot tub Sounds totally full of diseases, but it's not. Uh, it's something that one of our uh, other locations uses, and will it's, it's a hot tub that's securely fastened to a trailer. And what we'll do is we'll put you in there, we'll baptize you, and then we'll tour you around Ballard. That's not a bad idea, but it's a terrible idea. So that's going to happen on August 13th. Write it down. It's going to happen. We have one already in the queue, so you won't be by yourself. Uh, Come see me if you have any, if you are interested, you can email me. Uh, My email is right there. Um, I think that's all I wanted to highlight. Oh, and then another one. Uh, Many have asked about about our churches. This is kind of like a family update, so if you're new with us, just kind of zone out. Or you can listen. Uh, There has been many questions about where we stand budget-wise as a community. On the back bottom here, uh, you get to see our, we like to be pretty clear with where we are. Uh, you can even ask for more detail than this and we can send it to you. But there you would see the, the giving from June for the entire six campuses, uh, what's budgeted and what's there, and then you look down and said Ballard's year-to-date budgeting and what's there. So that's just us being very clear, this is where we stand, this is how we're doing, um, and then all the other details that are around there. Cool. That's what that is. People have asked for it, and you ask, you receive, there you go. Anything else you guys want? million dollars. <laughs> I'll get you that one, the budget. No, I'm kidding. Uh, my name's Brad. If, you, if we've never met, nice to meet you. Uh, if you would pray with me, and then we're all going to look at our table of contents in our Bibles and get to Habakkuk. Father, we thank you for our day. We thank you for the truth that we sing in, in these songs that you are a beginning, you are a last, you are everything. You hold the future, you hold the past. You are good, and we thank you for that. Lord, as we go into this next book, uh, uh, this minor prophet that had a lot to say, Lord, will you open our eyes, open our ears, and may your spirit begin to minister to us in this room today, that we be able to see what you are trying to say uh, to us through your prophet Habakkuk. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Habakkuk. Let's be honest. We haven't been there this week. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to look in the front. Find the page number. Habakkuk. Habakkuk is an interesting guy. His name means to embrace or to wrestle. Here's a free tidbit for you. When you look into a lot of the prophets' names, their names actually might have something to do with what they're going to be talking about. So like, say, the prophet Joel, it means Yahweh is God. So Joel, Joel we have a Joel here, kind of the same thing. Joel <laughs> says, Yahweh is God. So think of this, in the time when there was no worship of Yahweh, Joel's mom would stand out at the, at the end of the driveway and say, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God, come home for dinner. And so their names would actually be testaments to their community. Uh, Habakkuk's name means to, uh, to wrestle or to embrace. Uh, and when you look at the message of Habakkuk, it totally makes sense because his whole three chapters are him wrestling and him embracing God. He comes to God with some questions. He's one of the few prophets that doesn't talk to, uh, to the uh, people of Israel. He talks straight to God. He goes right to God with his problems, and I'm having a hard time finding it in my Bible this morning. Uh, 873. That's not it. It's 1834, in case you're wondering. I have the big print, because I'm dyslexic. Here we go. Now we're here. Habakkuk. Here's how, it can ha- Here's how you probably want to start thinking of Habakkuk. Do you ever have those conversations over text? And if you have an Apple phone and you're texting somebody else with an Apple phone and you have the glorious blue bubble, it's so nice. And then you see that the message has been sent and then it's been delivered. And you're like, sweet, they've seen it. Or you know it got there, right? And then some people are foolish enough to have it pop up red. Oh, so you've gotten it, it went through, and now you've read it Sweet and nothing. Isn't that frustrating? You know they've seen it. You know they've come across it. Yet they don't respond to you. And it's like a, what do you want for dinner type text. It's something that doesn't take very much to respond to. It's not like you're writing a novel and you need a novel response. It's a yes or no question. And yet, do they respond? No. Does it fry you as much as it fries me? Yes. It's terrible. Why do you have read receipts on? If you don't want me to get frustrated with you. Here's Habakkuk. He's praying. And he's praying for some good things. He's praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And what happens? No read read receipt. And no response. He's left there waiting. Habakkuk is the first one that we come to that has no answer to prayer. And so he starts Habakkuk has a little pattern to it, and from this pattern, we can have some uh, encouragement because we often feel a lot like Habakkuk, don't we? We pray, we pray, we pray, and then we have this faith that God is receiving our messages. Uh, they should be earmarked red, yet, still, nothing ever happens. This is Habakkuk's wrestling with God, this is why he's writing this book. He's saying, God, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. How long are you going to let this happen? When are you going to respond to me? Have we ever prayed that prayer? Am I the only one? I think not. I think we all have that kind of question. We all have that kind of relationship with God. And so the pattern that we see in Habakkuk is the first thing we see from him is a complaint. He's saying to God, God, this is not okay. If you look in your Bibles, if you found Habakkuk, in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, How long, O Lord, must I call out for help, but you don't listen to me? How long must I cry out violence, but you will not save? How long, if I was going to translate, how long do we got to sit here doing this dance, God? I pray, I pour my heart out, and nothing happens to you. Nothing happens There's not even a sign that you've received my message. How long is this going to take place? And his phrase, how long, is simply a sign to us that he has spent some time praying. He's been down on his knees. He's been beseeching God. This has been something that's caused him some problems, some loss of sleep. He's brokenhearted on something. How long is this going to happen? How long am I going to have to ask? And then he throws in this word violence. It's translated violence in our, in our text. This word violence is the Hebrew word Hamas. Hamas is first used in Genesis 6. There's this concept when you're reading and you get into these words and you're flying really low to the ground in the Bible. You want to see where these words first popped up in. This per- first word popped up, Genesis 6, 11. I think Drake's going to put it on the screen behind us. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. That's the word Hamas. What happened after this? God responded. God responded and did something to stop this violence. He sent a worldwide flood, according to Genesis 6. So this word violence is not something that gets thrown around a lot. This is something that's pretty impressive in those days. It means that there is no ethics. People are treating people like objects. There's injustice everywhere. Habakkuk is saying, God, I've cried out to you over and over and over again about this violence. Almost as if he goes, I know this word worked back in Genesis. I'm going to use it again here. And maybe God didn't even notice what's happening. He noticed back then, I'm going to cry out violence now and see if this works and gets his attention. Because last time God actually did something. Violence. Habakkuk knows that God hears all prayers, but he sees zero evidence of it. So first to the first complaint or the first part of the complaint is how long are you going to allow this violence to occur? How many of us have driven down the streets of our own city and we see things of violence all around us? Violence. Do you yell out in your car, violence? Or are you like Habakkuk where you're like, I'm tired of seeing this. God, when are you going to notice this violence? And it might not be violence between people. Sometimes it's the, the injustice of seeing people and where they're forced to live. This violence happening. People are not being treated ethically. People are not being treated correctly. And so we start to ask that same question. How long, O oh Lord, must I look at this violence? And when he asks this how long question, there's something going on here. How long, because you are quiet about this, Lord, how long? Or maybe, he kind of concludes, maybe you're okay with this and I need to adjust it. Your silence on this subject of of, of taking a long time is starting to make me think that you're actually okay with the violence that you see. Have we began to notice that? How long? And maybe this is just the way things are. We need to adjust. How long questions often turn into another question, and we see this in Habakkuk. When we say, how long is this going to take? For instance, you're stuck in traffic. Maybe you're on Mercer. You're stuck in traffic, and you think, how long is it going to take for this guy to turn left? How long always ends up in why. How long? Why is this taking so long? How long? Why do I have to wait? Habakkuk says it this way. How long? And then verse 3. Why do you even make me look at this? Why do you make me tolerate this wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict everywhere. The law is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous. And justice is perverted. In other words, if you're not going to stop all this, then why am I even trying? Have your prayers went from how long to why is this even happening? And since God is not responding, are you this close like Habakkuk was to saying, maybe God's just okay with this. Maybe God doesn't hear prayers. Maybe God is distant. Maybe God doesn't want to respond to me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Why is this happening? And you start to go down all of these little things of why this can't happen because you're how long has turned into why. We all face this problem at some point. Our circumstances will often challenge God's promises, and we wonder why God doesn't do something sooner. We're on the edge of our seats asking, how long and why? Habakkuk, we don't know how long he prayed these prayers. We don't know how long he'd been wrestling. But all of a sudden, in verse 5, God responds. Maybe it was that word violence. I don't know. But he's saying, hey God, what's happening here? And God says, look Habakkuk, look at the nations, watch and be utterly amazed. Three stances, look, watch, be amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you're not even going to believe even if you were told. Habakkuk is complaining and then God responds and he says, look, watch, be amazed. Your Bible might translate it like this Bible did and said for I am going to do something. And if you scratch deeper and you get a little closer to the ground, you see that this word going is actually I am doing something. We see this as I am going to do something and we think future time, God's not acting yet, he's distant, he's not even looking at us. The Hebrew says it differently. It says Habakkuk, look, watch, be amazed. I'm doing something. I'm doing something that you can't even see, that you won't even believe if you saw it or even if you're told. Oftentimes when we think God's not hearing us, we ask why he's not hearing us. We think God is distant, cold, doesn't care, he's inactive, he's detached. We start thinking all of these things about God. Habakkuk gets told, first off, look, watch, be amazed, I'm doing something that you can't see. He says this in verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth and seize dealings or seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. Like they are a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. Like in other places, Israel has been doing something wrong. Judah, the southern kingdom where Habakkuk is basically from, has been rebelling against God. And this time, God is going to deal with the rebellion of the the land of Judah. This is a hundred years after the northern kingdom did the same thing and God sent the Assyrian Empire in and took care of them. This time, God's looking at Judah and saying, I'm going to send the Babylonians towards you. Habakkuk had been looking around, seeing the injustice in his town, seeing the idolatry seeing the Babylonians start to gain strength. And he's saying, God, what are you going to do? Are you doing anything? And God says, yes, I am. I'm doing something here. And Habakkuk, you can't see what I'm doing because your eyes are too focused on you that you forgot to look and see what God is doing outside of you. When we start to ask the how long, why, and we get tired, we scream out violence, We forget to look beyond our own noses. We think God's not doing something about it. But really, he's working in ways that we'll never expect. Habakkuk did not expect that God would say, I see what's happening. Look, watch, be amazed. I'm going to use this people group that you had never even thought of to be used. I'm doing something about this. The hardest part about waiting for an answer to prayer is believing that God is actually working when we can't see it. This is the lesson Habakkuk had to learn. But Habakkuk isn't happy with this answer. So he complains again. He says, God, as long as I have you on the line here, let's talk some more. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you'll never die. Basically, God, you're awesome, but I got some problems with this. Have you appointed them to execute judgment? You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on that evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Then why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Here's his complaint in a nutshell. We're pretty bad with Israel. Yeah, we're corrupt. Here's the injustice that's happening. We're pretty bad. But Babylon? Babylon? They're even worse. They're a deity unto themselves. They're proud. They swallow people up. If you can look down in the rest of chapter 2, they swallow people up like fish with hooks and they throw them in their nets. They are a terrible, terrible, terrible people. We're pretty bad, but you're going to use Babylon? Are you serious? It's like for those of you who are afraid of spiders. How many of you are afraid of spiders? Yes, a lot of people are afraid of spiders. How many of you are afraid of snakes? Same people, afraid of spiders, afraid of snakes. So we have a room full of spiders. And you say, we have to get rid of these spiders. And then the exterminator comes and goes, i got a great organic way. I'm going to use snakes. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. That's the equivalent to what's happening. You're afraid of spiders. Spiders are easy. That's all you do. I don't understand it. But snakes they are terrible too. So basically, God's saying, You're bad. I'm going to use someone who's worse to take care of it. And Habakkuk goes, Why? How do you do this? They're so prideful. They're righteous. They're they're righteous in their own eyes. They don't trust God. Here's what Habakkuk's seen He's seen the proud flourishing, he's seen the crookedness all around him and all different sorts of evil. He saw, righteous, he saw the righteous, the ones who were trusting God, being oppressed, threatened, and persecuted. And now he's seeing the Babylonians who are worse than he is. They're the ones who God's going to use. So again, God is seemingly blessing the treacherous. And he doesn't understand it. And he asks God one more question. He's on the line. And he says, I don't understand this, God. So here's what I'm going to do. I will stand, this is in uh, chapter 2 verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself in the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. A better translation is I'm going to stand here God and I'm going to stand right here like a guard who's on watch. And we've seen guards who's on watch before. Think of the ones at the Royal Palace in in England. They don't flinch. They're ready. they're, They're They don't look anywhere else. He's going to stand there like a guard on watch on the wall of Jerusalem and wait for God's answer. I don't understand this. But I'm going to stand here and I'm going to watch and I'm going going to be amazed. You have a complaint. We all have complaints. We have issues that we pray about. We're all waiting for something. And that something we're waiting for there's always something huge. It's different for all of us. We're waiting. We've been praying. We don't understand why God is taking so long. We don't understand why we haven't had the answer. We don't understand why it hasn't shown up delivered or read. Or we don't see the blue bubble popping up and down like he's top- typing something. What do we do in Habakkuk's sense if this was us? Do we stand and wait? Or do we go, God... This is my problem. Fix it. Step back. All right, too late. And go. We don't wait long enough to hear God's response. Or an instant culture. Google gives us billions and billions of results in 0.14 seconds. We like that. Information's at our fingertips. We like things fast, we like things efficient. We don't wait well, we don't wait at all. Habakkuk stands there, and the implication is that he's going to stand there as long as it takes. He's not going to move. He's going to watch with earnest and to see God's response for however long it takes. But when you and I have a complaint, we don't wait at all. We are impulsive. We move immediately. We don't give God a chance to clear his throat, let alone have him finish a sentence. Our culture is very much in a hurry. Carrie and I were having a discussion yesterday about how our microwave doesn't heat things up in one minute anymore. It takes a minute 10 or sometimes a minute 20. What did we do before microwaves? Stoves? No, that's ridiculous. Ovens? No. We like things done like this and we're not done like this. We walk away or worse yet, we try and do things on our own. That phrase that Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand and wait, is not just a phrase that pops up here. It pops up three more times in Scripture. Moses, in Exodus 32, we're not going to go there, but you can write it down. Moses hid in the cleft of the rock. He said, I'm going to stand and wait. And while I'm standing and waiting, I'm going to see God's presence pass by. In Numbers, Balaam, which is a crazy story of a talking donkey, Uh, Balaam went outside to stand and wait for God's revelation. I'm going to stand and wait. God came to him. Elijah was commanded to go to the mountain to stand and wait for the revelation that would soon come in 1 Kings 19. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand and wait. They don't say, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to get up and then I'm going to do things on my own because you take too long. There's a reason why we wait. When we wait, it puts the eminence of God's power in its proper place. It means that God's going to do something. When we rush, it puts our power as eminent, as the most important thing. So God, I'm praying about this. I want you to do it. Amen. Never mind. I'm going to do it. Who gets the glory for that? You do. When you get glory or when you start doing something from your own power, on your own strength, Paul talks about this in Corinthians, it's wood, hay, stubble, and it burns up real quick. That's not you. That's not what you want to do. When it's on our own strength, when it's on our own power, it's us. But God says wait. Why does he say wait? Because when we wait on him, this is something that he does. It's not wood, hay, stubble. It's an actual foundation. It's a building that will support itself. The problem with us not waiting is not our impatience. The problem with us and our hurry for things is our pride. Why would you make me wait for this? I want it now. I don't want to wait for this. Does this sound familiar? I want to do this on my own because I'm a self-starter. I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I tighten my belt. I do all the other cliches that I do because I can do it. And then I go do it on my own. So when people say, how'd you get here? I can go, me. When we wait, when God moves in his time, and he'll move as we'll see in the next section, God's the one who gets the credit. And then, when we get to the end, we can say, God, why, well, how'd you get here? And you can go, oh, it wasn't me. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally God moved. And God got me here. And I stand on the foundation of His call and His movement and not something that I did on my own, not something I did in my own hurry. This is how we wait. This is our complaint. And our, in our waiting, we find our hope. In all of those instances of waiting with, uh, with uh, Moses, with Balaam, with Elijah, with Habakkuk, when does God come and see them? In the middle of the waiting. Not when they rushed away. There's other passages in Scripture. Acts 2, uh, uh, Samuel with, with uh, Saul and lighting the own thing. There's all these things and pictures where they do something on their own and it fails. They never really find God in it. God, in the hope in this, is that God is always found in the waiting? Look what he says in, in, cha- in chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord replied after Ab- Abacchus said he's going to wait. Write down this revelation, make it plain on the tablets so that the herald may run with it. The herald were the messengers. They would get a message and then they would go to uh, everywhere. My high school mascot was the herald. Really fear striking name. We are messengers. Let's play sports. Let's... But write this down, Habakkuk. Put it on stone tablets so that the herald may run with it. The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. There's one more line that we'll get to. And There's a lot packed into here. God's giving him a revelation. He says, write it down on stone tablets. Write it down, chisel it in. What else was written down on stone tablets? Do we remember in Exodus. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. This is important. This is what's going to give life. God's revelation of what's coming is something that God says, write this down with permanent marker, put it in a time capsule. There are going to be people who aren't born yet that are going to need to hear this. This is important. It's equivalent with them. Basically, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something. I promise I'll do something. There is a revelation that's going to come in the future. And though it lingers, wait for it. Habakkuk, this is a future thing. This is not something that's going to happen in 1.4 seconds of Google search. This is not a minute and 30 seconds on the old microwave. This is going to take a while. I'm doing something. And though it might feel like it lingers and takes a long time, wait for it. Have we seen those videos on the computer where they say, wait for it, and like five minutes later you're still waiting for it. This is what it's, wait for it. When you see it, it's going, it's going to blow your mind, but it will certainly come, and it will not delay. Fantastic. We're waiting, right? Great. Hurry up. Wait. However, there's something here. There's a promise that though it might feel like you're waiting for a long, long time, there is a promise that though it's going to be a while, it will certainly come. Though you wait and though you're complaining and though you're, you're talking to God about how long it's going to happen, God is doing something you never expect what he's doing. It's going to look different than what you wanted right now because it's going to come in his time. Though it lingers, wait for it. Ultimately, the impatience being a pride problem, we don't want to wait And so in chapter 2, verse 4, here's what it says. The enemy is puffed up. Their desires are not upright. The Hebrew word for puffed up means this. It means proud. It means arrogant. It means swollen. Sometimes it even means tumorous. It's a condition of pride that comes with this thought that you, you and your world are more important than everything else. You are the center of your own life. You become your own deity. When you're puffed up, you are all of this. Your insides are not straight, even though your outsides look like you're a mover and shaker. When you are puffed up, you might look good on the outside, but the insides are tangled up like the inner lining of a baseball. The proud are puffed up, and they can't stand straight. They're so big-headed, the word picture is that God's saying that they fall over on themselves all the time. I have a big head. I know what that's like. They're so top-heavy that they can't stand upright. And then he says this, the proud are puffed up, and then there's a counter, but the righteous, another word for righteous, the synonym for it, is the upright. That person lives by their faithfulness. In the case of the righteous, if the, inner, if, the, if the puffed up person is tangled up like a baseball, in the case of the righteous person, their inner condition is straight, and their outward condition is is a complete trust in God. It's interesting to note in passing that, that when we try and define straight versus crooked, we can have a thousand different types of definitions for crooked. I can say to you, draw me a picture of a crooked line. And each every one of you would draw t- however many, we get that many different pictures of what crooked means. We all have this idea of what crooked is. But when I say draw a straight line, there's only one way to draw straight. And so uh, Habakkuk is saying, there is a puffed up person and there's thousands and thousands of ways that these people can be puffed up. I don't want you to live like that. I've given you a straight line. I want you to live by this straight line. There's a thousand ways we can be crooked. There's one way to be straight. And God says, that way for the righteous That way for the upright is to wait in faith. And that's what Habakkuk was told to write down. Though the temptation will be to do things on your own, because there's a thousand different ways to do things on your own, you are called to wait in faith. This verse pops up all through scriptures. It's one of the most central verses that we see in scripture. And we'll get to reason why. But it shows up in Romans 117. And Paul here is emphasizing the righteous. You live the righteous, live by faith in God, not their, their nationality. Then he says it again in Galatians 3, and he stresses what it means to live. Rather than obtaining the Mosaic law on how to live, we live by grace in Galatians, he says. And then the writer of Hebrews, her emphasis was on faith. The righteous live by faith. And then in the context that she's writing, what it means to be faithful, And so it takes three verses, three different books, to apply one simple, the righteous shall live by faith. It's one of the most central aspects in Scripture because Moses tried to figure out and write down in his law how righteous and faithful people should live. He wrote down 613 laws. This is how you live by faith. 365 of them, the rabbi said, to be correlated with the days of the years. 365 days. 365 laws. The 248 that were left corresponded according to the Talmud as the bones in your body. So it took up everything. I think they said there were 248 back then. There might be more or less. I'm not a scientist. The number, but what he's saying is this was Moses' way of saying this is the law, this is how we be righteous. David, in Psalm 15, takes the 613 laws that Moses writes and puts them down to 11. 11. In Psalm 15, Isaiah takes the 11 that was trimmed down from 613, trims them down uh, to six. He says in Isaiah 33, those who walk righteously—same word—speak what is right. They reject gain from extortion. They keep their hands from accepting bribes. They stop the ears against—they stop from hearing plots of murder—and shut their eyes against uh, contemplating evil. They are the ones who will dwell on the heights whose refuge will be in the mountain fortress. Micah took those six principles and put them down to three. Walk humbly, do justly. What's the last one? Have mercy. The three of them. Micah went from 613 to three. Isaiah, there's another Isaiah that comes in Isaiah 56. He takes the three to two. Maintain justice. Do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. All of these come down to Habakkuk. He takes the 613 that went from 11 to 6 to 3 to 2 and says one way. If you want to know how to wait with hope, the righteous will live by faith. 613 boiled down to one. If you want to know how God wants you to live, it's not on your own strength, It's not on your own time. It's by God's, and it's waiting in faith. This is the hope that we have. That when we're waiting, it's not that we've done something wrong. It's not that you're on God's out list. It's not that he sees the email come in, and he's like, I'll get to it later. It's waiting in faith, knowing that though you cannot see what he's doing, he's doing something It's waiting in humility, knowing that you are not your own God. God is God, and you'll wait on Him. Waiting with hope means waiting with faith. This is the hope that we have. The God of the universe often takes centuries to work out His plans when we want Him to do it in months, years, days, hours, or minutes. He holds everything in His grasp, He will fulfill his promise, and he will reward the faith, but he will destroy the pride and destroy the crooked. This is what Habakkuk is realizing. This is what God is saying. Write this down on the tablets. You want to live, you'll live by faith. Faith is one of those things. Yeah, I've got to have more faith. So how do we have more faith? Look what Habakkuk does in in chapter 3. Habakkuk goes from complaining to singing. He goes from worry to worship. There's a bunch of little cliches that we can see what Habakkuk does, but he goes from one thing of God will never do this. Why is he taking so long? And he swings the pendulum completely to the other side and says, I will have faith and I will wait. Habakkuk becomes the the prototype of what it means to be righteous living by faith. He writes a song and in the song, he looks backwards. The best way to look at, to establish faith, and we've talked about this with Moses in the Exodus, the best way to establish your faith is to look behind you. And you see all these places where God has shown up, and why wouldn't he shown up ahead of you? What makes him different from then to now? Habakkuk does this. In chapter 3, verse 3, God came from Taman, the Holy One from the Mount Paran, his glory covered the heavens and praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. His rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. This is creation. God did this in creation. He's going way back. Look at the faithfulness of God in creation. He begins with this ancient poem. This poem shows up in Micah, Nahum. This is something that was known to them. And he knows it from his past. And he says, this is our God. When you want to know faith, here's what I do. I put on a worship music that will actually calm my my fears and establishes faith. So first for faith you worship and then establish faith you look behind you and you see what God has done. I have this fear of of everything going wrong and us actually uh, as a family failing and that's one of my biggest fears that I have. One of the ways that I snap out of it is with Carrie's help. She says, why would he have brought us this far? And so you look, she forces me to look behind me all the way back to the beginning. God has brought you this far from creation is how far back it goes. You were there. What makes you think that God wouldn't be here now? In the next section of the song, he talks about the Exodus, the splitting of the Red Sea. He says in verse 13, you came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land with wickedness and you stripped him from head to foot. You, you brought your anointed one out, the line of David who was going to bring us Christ. You brought that person out. You saved us from the wickedness. You drowned them in the water, he continues. And he's saying, once again, like the other Exodus, I have faith and I will wait that God will destroy the evil that's now present with me now because he did it then and he can do it again. And so I will wait. Today, We find ourselves waiting. Are you tempted, like me, like others in this room, to jump this process and start taking things into your own hand? The temptation is not to act or wait in faithfulness. The temptation is to act on your own. So in the bottom of the bulletin, as you walked in, you were given the bulletin, I already checked with you. At the bottom of that, at the end of the outline, are three lines. And there's other lines for you in case you have a lot of waiting to do. What are you waiting in faith for? What are some things on this that you can write there and say, I'm, I haven't been waiting on this. I've been working at it on my own power and my own strength. But I need to start waiting in faith for this. I need to put down my pride. I need to put down my motives. I need to put down my timeline." and start acting with God's. The righteous will live by faith. Waiting is hard. It was never said to be easy, but today will you stand and wait? And as you think, as Brian plays the song for us, uh, it's a new song. If you know it, sing along. If you don't, maybe try and fill out some of these things that you should be waiting for, but you aren't. Or maybe you are waiting, and you've been doing a good job. You've been faithful. You've been waiting, but it's getting tiring. Maybe there's some things that you can, as a reminder, say, God, I'm still waiting with expectancy for these things. What are you waiting for today? Pray with me. Father, we thank you that though it may linger, it will still come. Though it seems like it's taking a thousand years, it will still happen. Though it's not on our time, it's on yours. Lord, may you help us wait. May you help us wait in faith. May we live by faith, like Habakkuk, standing on the wall, waiting for your will and your movements The righteous will live by faith God may we be righteous today.